right now, I think we have the greatest opportunity to find deals that are true value. And that's a big switch. And the markets are in a bloodbath right now. So over the last two weeks, we saw incredible jumps in interest rates. People vastly underestimate the downside. Once you get to a point where you feel like you don't know where the bottom is, your mind goes crazy. And the markets start to go to worst case scenario. Looking to create wealth and income through high cash flowing real estate? Self-storage is the fastest growing and the newest real estate asset that has outperformed all others. What's its secret? I'm AJ Osborne, and with over a million square feet that we have built, acquired, expanded, and even converted big box stores from small third tier markets to large hundred plus thousand square foot facilities, we have seen it all. This is the podcast that we're going to discuss and bring on the best investors and operators in the nation to show you how to create wealth and income with self-storage. Welcome to Self-Storage Income. Welcome back, everybody, to the Self-Storage Income Podcast. We're so excited to dive into today's episode. However, we've got some amazing sponsors that we have to shout out before we get started here, and that is Live Oak Bank. Tenant Inc. and Janus International. Link is in the show notes. Check these guys out. What's up, everybody? So today we're, we have like a, a a short. It's just me. Connor went out of town, and so I, I I'm here doing this one. I don't have an interview planned. I wanted to do more of a shorter episode, but really important and a topic that I think is important that I want to hit on, and that's right now. Is it time to buy? A lot of people are confused and we're seeing fear in the markets. And for everyone that's listening knows for the last two years, we've been talking about um, what all the printing of money would do. Uh, if you've read my article, I put it into a Twitter thread, the end of self-storage that we did literally like eight months ago, we were talking about everything that's happening now. Okay. We've, we've talked about what will happen to storage um, as interest rates rise. And what happens, everyone, when you look at different market cycles and where things are going, people pull out, out of deals, they run to the sidelines, there's fear in the market, um, and the future seems unknown. But I actually think that the future is way more known today than it was literally six months ago. I had way more fear six months ago than I do today. And the reason is the path ahead is clear. We may not like it and it may not be good, but we can understand it. Also, the path ahead means buying. Now, we're going to talk about should you or should you not be buying? What are the pros, cons, risks? How do you move forward in this environment? And I'm going to tell you where the golden opportunities are. Before we go into that, everybody, I am giving a free version of my audio book away. So here's what you do. For everybody that listens to this podcast, my uh, supporters, we so appreciate you. Um, as you guys know, we got hit 
by reviews. Apple took off around 200 reviews. We have no idea why. We've never gotten clarification for them. So anybody that leaves a review, take a picture of the review, go to a link in the show notes right here, click on that link, send the review in, and we're sending you the code to get your free audiobook so you can listen to the audiobook as you guys get ready to buy storage. So the audiobook will help you guys understand the whole process, what we do, how we do it. So my book, Growing Wealth in Self-Storage, you can get the audiobook for free. Just leave a review, take a picture, send it into that link. Um, I, I, a lot of people like audiobooks. That's why we were trying to do it for everybody. And audiobooks are more expensive. They're harder to make and we have to pay to make them. So we thought this would be a great value add. All right. With that, guys, right now, um, I think we have the greatest opportunity to find deals that are true value, like intrinsic value, not upside. And that's a big switch. And the markets are in a bloodbath right now. So over the last two weeks, we saw incredible jumps in interest rates. Massive jumps in interest rates. Now, this was expected. I sat on a panel at the beginning of the summer, and I said, we could see interest rates at 10%. The whole rest of the panel, I think, thought I was crazy. All of them universally said, I don't think it's going to get anywhere to that level. One of the reasons is people vastly underestimate the downside. They do. You saw this in 2008. People just could not believe that housing prices would crash the way that they did, even though it was actually very logical. Um, and people really believe that upside, right? But our emotions tear us in these cycles. And the reason being is once you get to a point where you feel like you don't know where the bottom is, your mind goes crazy and the markets start to go to worst case scenario. We're starting to see that right now. Um, we're seeing that be accelerated because today we just learned that the job market is still strong as well as inflation rose. Why is the job market still strong a problem? Well, because the job market being strong creates demand from consumers and inflation is going up, not down. And that's the whole point, the rising rates. So we know, and I've been saying for a while that Unemployment has to rise. It does. People need to be laid off. Demand has to be shattered. Um, And the Fed will not start lowering interest rates, not if inflation stops, not if it reverses, but until it goes back to a normal. That means they're going to keep raising rates, everybody. It's not stopping. It's not over. It's going to get worse. Um, And I know that's not what you want to hear, but it's the truth. It would take some serious information and massive trends to shift. The problem is, for some reason, everyone didn't think that increasing the money supply by 40% would have any material effect on Main Street. They thought, oh, yeah, stocks may fall, right? Assets may lose value, which everybody's okay with that. But 
Stop inflation without affecting Main Street, without affecting everybody. Stop it without people losing jobs, right? Stop it without hurting people. That's not how it works. And when you increase the money supply in the way that they did, which was a gross over-exaggeration, it was so overdone, it was laughable. The hundreds of billions that were spent on nothing that had to do with anything from COVID. All greedy politicians from both sides saying, well, if we're going to be printing trillions of dollars, give it to my constituents, give it to this school. Let's just get rid of all school debts. Now, let me tell you what happens when you do that. In 2008, everybody says, hold on here. We had mass, uh, massive recession, but we also had massive bailouts. Why didn't that cause inflation? Because in 2008, we had a debt crisis, meaning assets lost value and debt had to be restructured. Debt is money, everyone. There's no difference at all. That's how you create money is you create debt. That's how the economy works. So when debt gets restructured and defaults happen, what happens? You contract the money supply. So the bailouts, right? And all the checks that were given out and everything in 2008 and the printing of money was meant not to increase, but to stop the fall of the money supply. It was to try to stabilize the economy in deflation. Deflations caused depressions. What happened as restructurings occurred, as everything was going downwards, the Fed and the government started printing money to try to fill in the hole when they printed multiples more, four or five times more during COVID than they did in 2008. There was no hole to fill. Instead of debt decelerating or instead of the money supply, right, debt contracting, that causes recessions, money expanding causes uh, inflation, if it gets out of control, but that causes markets to grow. The markets were heated. They were booming when this happened. There was no hole to fill. There was no defaults. There was no deceleration. And they say, well, some small businesses were like, it was nothing that had any material effect on the overall money supply. So when they rolled out trillions of dollars, they were layering over trillions of dollars but there was no effect to Main Street or the economy. Why? They didn't let anybody lose their jobs, their homes, and they didn't let businesses go bankrupt. And you say, that's a good thing, AJ. It is a good thing, but you can't then throw trillions of dollars on top of that. In 2008, when they threw, they didn't even throw trillions. It was like $1.5 trillion, right? Which I think in COVID were like four. They had a whole of trillions of dollars. People lost their jobs. People lost their homes. People couldn't get debt because they had defaulted. That meant they could fill in the hole, but inflation couldn't get take wild because people couldn't get access to debt and they couldn't spend. People lost their jobs. They didn't have money to spend. That's why there was no inflation. But instead, you had in, in COVID, everybody was extraordinarily credit worthy. They were getting uh, pay increases. They were taking out debt because debt was cheap and easy. 
then you throw three, four trillion dollars on top of that. You don't let anybody lose their jobs. You don't let bank any businesses go bankrupt. The, the idea that that wouldn't cause inflation is laughable. It's a joke, right? That was the only outcome that could have happened. And it happened in a way that for some reason they thought was out of control. It is my theory. They actually always knew it would happen, right? They never had any actual idea that it was transitory, which even me saying at the time that this is not transitory, that really pissed a lot of people off. I don't know why. I think for some reason it became political, not economical, which is the worst thing that could even happen when you're discussing these things because all I care about is the reality of the economic situation. I don't care about politics. And when you look at that, um, they just repeated this idea, transitory, transitory, over and over and over again. What they're trying to do is they were trying to get the whole entire market to all not fall into a belief that inflation was going to be out of control. Why? That would cause markets to crumble. So think about if Powell got up, the chairman of the Fed, and said, everyone, this isn't transitory. The economy is heating up way too fast. We have inflation, and this inflation could run away. Markets would just shatter. It would all come crumbling down. And they didn't want that. So instead, they just said that it's not happening. And what that meant was they never put into action slowing it down. They didn't get aggressive on interest rates. That means you end up into a Paul Volcker situation where interest rates got out of control and then the Fed had, or excuse me, inflation got out of control. The Fed never jumped in and never really stopped it. You had runaway inflation until Paul Volcker stepped in and said, you got to do what you got to do. Before, every time that inflation slowed down, the Fed would ease off the, the Fed would ease off the interest rates. And then guess what happened? Inflation just picked right back up again. We learned a ver some key things. You don't stop inflation until it's back down, meaning you can't lower interest rates, not when it stops, not even when it's going down. Inflation has to be back to a normal until you can do that. And Paul Volcker showed us this. He allowed interest rates to go to 18, 20%. He had to. He said the market has to do what it has to do. And we waited so long that 8, 9, 10% inflation doesn't cut it anymore. 18, 20% inflation, and he, or 18, 20% interest rates, that stopped the money supply, that cured the problem. Now, for everybody that's out there that's saying, which once again, I just got trashed on for this, that it is not a uh, it, it is not a supply chain problem. And once again, this was some weird narrative that everybody bought, but it never was a supply chain problem. It is still not. What happens is when you have a recession like we did during COVID, okay? When you have problems in the economy, supply chains naturally contract, but it's always okay. You want to know why? Because the economy contracts. Less people have jobs. We start to see defaults. The economy cools down. So supply chains are reacting in line with consumers. But in COVID, that's not what happened. Supply chains contracted with the economy but consumers did not. 
So we had a supply chain problem. But the only reason the supply chain problem was there was because of the printing of the money, right? They overdid it. So they overwhelmed supply chains. There was nothing wrong with them. And you also know that supply chains aren't a problem. You want to know how? Because rising interest rates, guess what that does? That stops supply chains from functioning. Why? Supply chains are made up of infrastructure, employees, and supply chains are made up of cargo ships, lines, and all of that business and all that infrastructure needs short-term and long-term debt to keep it moving. We need rail cars. We need boxes. We need trucks. We need ships. We need planes. When you rise interest rates, those companies no longer have access to capital in the way they did before. So they stop buying boxes and trains and stop hiring people and the infrastructure doesn't come, right? Well, then why would, if it's, if it's a supply chain problem, why would you ever rise interest rates? You're only going to make it worse. They're rising interest rates, everyone, because that's not the problem. The problem is the economy and Main Street were disconnected. And Powell is very, very clear. We are going to cause pain on businesses and on individuals. Meaning, he said the labor markets are going to hurt. What he's saying is we are going to force unemployment. We have to realign Main Street with the economy. This dysfunction, though, everyone, was created. Okay? They could have gone about this and they could have not politicized this and instead of going to this just runaway amount, they could have allowed there to be some pain in the economy to support it at the basic level. They didn't need to do what they did. And it's going to get worse, right? So we're now seeing the effects starting. Next will be labor markets and everything else. Now, all of you are sitting here going, okay, AJ, thanks for the uh, lesson in economics here. Um, and the I need to go get a Prozac now because uh, I'm so uh, utterly depressed, right? Now, you shouldn't be, though. That's one of the problems. Don't let emotions overcome you because what happens when markets, markets are driven by humans and humans are driven by emotion. And the two most powerful emotions that is in the human is fear and greed. In 2020 and 21, greed won. Now, fear is winning. So fear is a more powerful emotion than greed is. Fear causes flight or fight. Fear causes people to freak out. That's why when you look at markets that grow, they grow over a six, seven year period of time. That's how they expand. Every year, they expand by three, four percent. Right Now, when you look what happens in market, it, that's overall. Of course, individual markets, depending on which one you're in, expand a lot faster. Self-storage had a huge run. Tech had a huge run. You know, different things like that because different markets perform on aggregate, though. But downturns don't work like that, do they? No. What happens? Facebook lost 35% of its entire market. It was a trillion-dollar company. Guess what it's worth today? $350 billion. I mean you're talking about it lost 30% of its entire value in like two months. So the markets, when they freak out, it's much more violent, right? It's an immediate pullback. It is a run for safety. 
Now, that means downturns are sharp, they're noisy, and they drive emotion. In order to be a great investor, you have to master emotion. Why? Because this is the time to buy. Now, you say, AJ, I don't understand this. I, I'm getting confused here. You're over here saying, you know, markets suck, everything else like that. And you're saying that you understand the future more than you did now or than you later did. I have more clarity now than I did six months ago. I am more clear on buying over the next six months than I have been for the last two years. The last two years were not reality. Any analysis you look at, take COVID out. It, it's not reality. It wasn't normal. And what we're seeing right now is the markets are giving up every single ounce of gain they gave, uh, they got in the last two years. Why? Because they have to come back down to reality. The markets were made up of the government. It's not good. It's not healthy. It's not normal. Now, moving on, the dollar is strengthening. Foreign uh, countries are having lots of problems. People are retreating to the dollar. Uh, we are the best nation by far out of all other countries. Other countries are going to be in a lot more pain than we are. But the move forward, everybody here, and why it's now time to buy deals, we know that interest rates are going to rise until they kill inflation. Once that happens, they'll lower interest rates. They'll go back normal. We will see a rise in unemployment. We will see restructuring of debt. You're going to see people that didn't put good frameworks. Remember I always talk about it's not the asset that fails 90% of the time. It's the investor. And I talk about event-based investing, everybody. This is why you don't do that. I'm locked in for like 10 plus years on all my biggest liabilities. I'm not worried necessarily about my assets over the next year, two, or three. I may not like performance, but we're going to pay our bills. We're going to have cash flow, right? We, we don't have events that are coming up that I'm like, oh, it's going to come up in short-term periods. Why? Because we understood what was happening and we understood why. Everybody looks and they, and they say, you know, a clear thing was a year and a half ago, extra space took out, I think it was, $250 billion in debt at 1.7% and then didn't buy anything. And everybody said, why are you guys taking on all this debt and you're not buying anything? Well, guess what? That 1.7% rate was locked in and it's locked in for years. So now they're sitting on 250 I'm sorry, I think I said billion. I meant million. $250 million at 1.7. Inflation is, I don't even know today, what, 10%? I mean, it's off the charts. Interest rates are now above 7, and they're approaching 10. And they're going to go on a buying spree. And they're going to just mint money. Eight, nine months ago, we restructured our deals. We pulled out tens of millions ourselves and we got ready and i told everybody on this podcast we're pulling money we're keeping powder dry we're locking in assets get ready and the problem is though there's lots of people even in the self-storage industry even big names and people that are really prominent that would say things like you don't understand storage and you don't understand why this is a safe asset it's you know 
they haven't been around long enough. They haven't experienced downturns. They don't even know how this asset is affected in downturns. But they speak so confidently that interest rates will never get up to 8%. We're there. That that won't affect storage, right? Um, and you don't want to be one of those people and you don't want to listen to those people. We want to be realistic. Because guess what's happening now? Those same people are starting to freak out. So when they should be stable, ready to buy, now they're losing their minds. We want to be ready. In fact, we're rolling out our opportunistic fund literally like a week where we are taking on investors' capital and we are going out to buy distressed deals. We're going to buy them pennies on the dollar. I'm going to pay for them in cash. I'm going to wrap them up. I'm going to refi them into longer term loans when we do not have recourse and or prepayment penalties of recourse. And this is going to be like it was for us when we owned storage prior to 2008. Then after 2008, we went on a buying spree. The only difference is this time we're going to allow other people to do it. And guess what? We know what to look for and we know the downsides. Because we looked at all the negatives, like we just talked about in the front at the first part of this podcast, because we looked into the fire and we looked into the brimstone and we didn't ignore it and we said, this is a reality, we could prepare. And also, I know what to look for. I know, we, you know, the bad things that are going to happen. Everybody was like, two years ago, AJ, why are you going into Oklahoma City? There is no growth in Oklahoma City. Why aren't you going into cities like Austin? Well, guess what? Vacancy is starting to cover Austin. All of this new inventory is hitting the market. They're trying to refinance. They're not able to. They're dropping rates because it was oversupplied. There's nothing being built in Oklahoma City. So we got in before the increased rates. Nobody can afford to do it anymore. So they're not moving into Oklahoma City. And that's where I get my rate runway. If any of you watch our webinars, which make sure you do, please follow me on Instagram and you can go through these webinars. Everything I've been talking about the last two years that we've been getting ready for, why we shifted out of markets when everybody thought we were stupid and went into other markets that had no new supply, but wasn't getting this growth rate that everybody's like, man, in this market and this market, we're making 20% a year, right? We left my home market. I haven't invested in my home market for like three years, four, five years now, four years. And the reason being was this. And guess what we're probably most likely going to be doing and entering into the next eight months. We're going to be moving back into those markets. But we're going to be getting them at a fraction of the price that was just five months ago. And the idea is right now, anyone that is getting into the game, you have two choices. You can walk forward, understand the situation, hold your head up high, and you can get over the next eight months some of the best deals you will. You've, if you've been in this game anything less than 12 years, I mean, the best deals you'll ever get. Let me, let me share an example with you and how you're going to go get deals. I'm going to show you the best strategy, right? So first of all, as deals are plummeting, you have you're probably going to see less deals hit the market. But that's good because so many deals traded in the last two years because sellers would sell because people would give them stupid, unreasonable prices, right? They're like, okay, well, I guess I'll sell. But they weren't sellers, right? They'll only sell if you're like, it's so crazy, 
we were those people. We sold. We're like, literally, I hadn't ever sold an asset. Um, I don't think I'd, we'd never sold a large facility ever. Guess what we sold this year at the first of the year? We sold for the first time in my com- uh, company's history, we sold assets. And when we looked at it, we said, we got to do this. We're going to take powder. And two, these assets aren't going to perform very well in a year and a half because of the contraction that's coming. So we'll take all this premium that we're getting for it, and then we can redeploy it. Um, now, when we look at what's happening now, real sellers that are moving into the market, they still have to sell. So the quality of deals that are going to go to the market are going to go way up, way, way up. Sellers are being reasonable now. I mean, I'm talking to brokers. They have no deals that are not falling out of contract, that are not being retraded. And you're talking to the tune of portfolios being retraded from $230 million to saying within a month, it's only worth $180 million. You're talking about $50 million swings. It's When you look at these swings in value, it's irrational, to be totally honest. You say, oh, no, it's not because it's the cost of money, right? But as everybody knows, we don't do invest. All, all the followers, everybody in my inner circle, we all know we do not do event-based investing. It's fundamentals long-term. The price changes is the entry point in the market, not the future gains, right? We look at the spread that exists in the market today, not future gains. This is why, everybody. This is why you play long-term gains. And right now, you're moving into a position that the intrinsic value of the assets are going to start way, way being exaggerated in the long-term picture. And for today, yields are going to rise. Most importantly, the power from the sellers is being removed and going to the buyers. We have a $5 million deal that the owner is going to give us 90% seller financing on. This is a large, large asset that we will end up putting no money into, and we will have no risk on it at all. We won't personally guarantee anything. It'll be backed by the asset. And guess why they're doing it? Because they have no other options. They want to sell. They're not in it for the long term, right? And so they came to us. And this is why we have our off-market people in-house. We're getting seller financing now. If you were getting seller financing in the last three years, you weren't buying a good facility, right? We're now getting seller financing on large assets that are good assets in good locations. They have limited options, right? This is becoming more and more common. 50% of all conversations that we are having today with sellers, we are talking about seller financing. If you are getting started in self-storage, this is the best thing ever. Because you say, oh yeah, well, I want to buy deals, AJ, right? But with interest rates, I can't, you know, banks aren't going to give me money. Don't worry about it. This is what we did starting out. We didn't have the money, we get seller financing, right? Then after 2008, nine. Markets wouldn't give us money. So what did we do? We went to the sellers and said, yeah, you got to finance part of this. What would they do? They'd finance 40%. We'd get a bank loan on the other. And then we didn't have any risk or money into the deal. So we're getting now to where the buyer has options and powers. Third, second, third, and fourth tier markets, this is the best. Because those markets are subject to bank financing. And the big players won't go into them. And they're not going to bail people out. So now you can provide options to sellers to get in on deals on all sorts of sizes, right? And the sellers are gripped with fear, but you're not. You're going to have a cool head. 
right? You're a buyer, you're providing options, and you're going to allow the seller to sell. You're going to give them tax benefits. You're going to allow them to finance it so they get consistent income, but they're selling it now. Why would they do it? Because there's a lot of advantages, right? If I'm bank financing, I can't pay you $5 million. I can only pay you, you know, let's say $4 million. And then they go, but I want a higher price, but because of interest rates, you can't get it. I'll make you a deal. I'll do four and a half million. So you get closer to your price, but you got to finance the whole thing. And they go, well, that's not bad, but I want some money. Okay. I'll give you 20%, which then I go to the bank and say, I only need 20% debt on this asset that cash flows at a 40% margin because you don't need, because the seller's financing it. The bank doesn't care because they're taking first. They're going to go, great, we'll do it. Now you give that 20% to the owner. He gets money out. He's playing the bank on the rest and you're golden. So you're getting the best opportunities to buy and get started in storage that we've seen in years. It's exciting, but at the same time, it's a scary time. Work on your emotions, understand what's happening, look at the real problems, compartmentalize them. Don't let them control you create solutions. There's less buyers, less capital, more people are scared. When you're in third tier markets, at this point, you're probably, you know, very few people are even talking to the owners, you can help them out, go talk to them. Now, remember, deals are a scale. So like uh, the old scale, right, you have the two golden cups, the old, old scales, when deals uh, get uh, on one side, you have value or like price, let's say. So the deal's cost and how good of a deal or bad of a deal is based upon price. The other side is your ability to execute. Now, when execution goes up, they get worse. So the deals go down, meaning for the buyer, execution is easy, but the price is so big, the deal's not as good. Now, when that switches, which is happening now, the price of the deal goes down, so it becomes better deal, higher yield, but the other side has to go down too. That means execution goes down. It's harder to get money. It's harder to get investors and it's harder to get banks. Those two things always work together, up and down, up and down. And to assume that you're going to get great deals and easy execution means you are not ever going to do deals. So now you understand that prices are getting better. Yields are going to rise. You're going to get better deals, but you need to be creative and it's going to be a little harder for you to execute. So prepare for it, get ready for it. But what's more important, more work and harder to execute or a better cash flowing deal that can set you up for life? I would choose that. That's what we chose when we started. And guess what? It did. It set us up for life. Now, could everything go to hell in a handbasket? Could I lose everything in four months? Yes, everyone can. So why don't I care about that? Well, because whether I have 100 deals or no, no deals, in that scenario, I'm still done. It just means I'm going to end with more maybe opportunities to pull it off than not. So no matter what, in those extreme situations, we're all screwed. So it doesn't matter. I just take them out, right? If Everybody can't get the economy. If we go into World War, it doesn't matter anyways. So don't worry about it, right? Take those extremes out. My, uh, not migrate, excuse me, but I want you to manage your emotions and fear, compartmentalize risk and move forward because guys, the next eight months for those that want to be in it and can control themselves, 
you are going to get the best deals that will set you up for life. I hope this helps everybody. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. Get that review done, send it in, and we'll get you a free audiobook and keep listening as we show you deals, execution in the coming markets. And I want to hear from you guys. Go to Instagram, comment on my posts, tell me what you guys are doing, tell me if you're seeing deals. Let's all make very good use of the next coming eight months and make this next eight months set us up all for life. Thanks, everybody.